Although, I've seen some scripts, I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome to another episode of the In the Mouth of Darkness Chatcast. I'm your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, and joining me today is Billy Das, the Indie Dork. What's up, Billy? Oh, not too much. Not eye contact. Not eye contact. Uh, you're going to have to stay tuned to the stinger to understand that joke. Uh, man, we've made it. We're finally here, the last episode of In Our Overlook Film Festival series, and I'm a little sad. That's yeah, bittersweet. It's I bittersweet. mean, because this is one of my favorite conversations, but also time at the overlook is now kind of coming to an end yeah it's it's long gone but we'll be back at the overlook next year absolutely and here's the great thing let's not get sad okay like you said this conversation that we have with larry fessenden is astonishing it is and it's actually the first conversation that we had at the festival <laughs> that's true yeah uh it just kind of worked out based on its release date that it ended up being yeah. our last in the overlook series here on the chat cast uh he is here talking about his new film depraved which comes out in uh september uh on the 13th yep. friday the 13th, 13th the week after it chapter two hits the theaters and i'm sure depraved is going to knock it from its number one spot right uh sure in a just world, it would. Yes, in a just world, I well, in a just world, they would share some seats because I, I, I feel like I don't know. I'm I'm excited about it. Chapter two. I'm happy. We're for We're sidetracking. I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you're excited about it. Chapter two. Uh, you know, the first one's fine. Whatever. The book's great. Uh, Larry Fessenden, though, he's a legend. Yeah, absolutely. He's the director of Habit. The Last Winter, Wendigo. Uh, he's appeared in many films, including The Dead Don't Die, which just had its theatrical release yep. here in the States. Uh, he's worked with Kelly Reichardt and Martin Scorsese, and we get to talk to him about that. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a real pleasure to have him on the show, and he was so open mm -hmm. to giving his time. He's not like, oh, I only have 10 minutes for you, I only have 15 minutes for you. Here is an hour plus yeah. of conversation. Yeah. And man, does he deliver some awesome stories in this chat. Absolutely. I, you know, my, my thing with Larry Fessenden, you know, my, my, my dork handle is the indie dork. And I think the thing that I love about him the most is that he really does embrace that filmmaking spirit. Like, just make the movie. Make your idea. Figure out how to do it. If you don't have the budget, find a cheap way to do it. Um, but get your art out there and, and do what you can to do it. And I love that he embraces that philosophy. So we had this conversation at the Hotel Peter and Paul in New Orleans. We did it from room 306. Yeah. Yeah, the, the magical room number 306. <laughs> uh, thanks to everyone at the Overlook for setting aside that space for us. It was a real pleasure to set up Mobile Podcast One yeah. in that room, lie down on that weird day bed situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a bed in the loft upstairs, which was great, and... There are definitely no awkward jokes made with Larry Fessenden about that bed as he walked out of that room. Oh, yeah, that's right, Billy. You did not bring that up. I do not want you to imply that I brought up the bed in conversation with Larry. That was all you. But Larry was into it. 
I look, man, all I did was propose that our like our little our photograph at the end of the conversation be staged in the bed because he commented that it was there. Okay, okay. Let's just get into this conversation, that shall got we? Weird. That got weird. It did. It took a turn. Let's, like, let, hi everybody. I'm Billy. I'm, oh, I'm probably weird. gonna delete all that. Let's <laughs> jump into this chat. Let's talk with Larry Fessenden, and we'll meet you back on the other side. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Billy, are you set? I'm going to also record yeah. on my phone just yeah. Yeah, yeah. because of my own paranoia. I'm just going to put the headphones on for a second, make sure the levels are all good for the conversation, but otherwise, yeah, I think... That was a hell of a screening last just, night. Oh, was it fun? It was I a lot it. of fun, yeah, yeah. I had just seen it, and it was really fun the second time, because yeah. you realize it's just like an old folk song or something. It takes its time. Well, like, I was... so many details. Yeah, so many details. And, you know, it's obviously, like, this huge... You know, love letter movie, but mm-hmm. it's also so Jarmouche, but not a Jarmouche I've ever seen before. Right, like, it's true, like, right? You were saying, you know, it's a him at his most ridiculous, or well, or, he likes to say that because I think he knows it's silly, but it's also quite sad. I think. Oh well, I found I found it to be really sad at times, mm-hmm. and and you know, I like how. He gave us very little satisfaction on some of the storylines, you know, like the, yeah. the hipsters in your hotel, you know. Exactly. You know, just like, oh, there goes Selena Gomez. But they're so uh, well drawn that you really do kind of, you you get a lot out of them. Like, you know each one of them. the car, that one white kid is just so sort of like, <laughs> yeah, it's just fantastic. Yeah, I had and yet he's time. never being mean. You know, he never takes advantage mm. of anyone, but he's mm. just sort of saying, "Look at this situation," <laughs> meaning German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's really he's got such a fun touch. Yeah, yeah. And I was watching it, wondering like, oh, what other movies are like this? It's a kind of comedy and humor that you don't see because it's not a comedy. Yeah, I was trying to explain it to my wife this morning, and uh, I, I I said. She's like, well, what kind of zombie movie is it? I was like, uh, don't think of it like that. No, it's not Sean of the yeah, Dead. Yeah, you know, yeah. These are all masterworks, but uh, it's just its own offering to Yeah, them. it really is. Um, okay, so Depraved. Um, how important is Frankenstein to you? Well, I grew up as a kid watching um, TV. That's how you saw movies in my day, or at least... You know, how you indulged, obviously you went to the theater and you saw like a James Bond movie or, you know, eventually Cuckoo's Nest and some of the great movies from the 70s. But the real bread and butter was on the television and Chiller Theater and um, yeah. the 430 movie and all this. 430 movie played Godzilla. So oh, yeah. you got all of that <laughs> crazy. And, and then Chiller had the Universal Pictures. And it is fun to historically look back and see how that is all just a, it's just what happened. You know, Universal sold its uh, mm-hmm. movies to television and then the Aurora models came out with the little plastic uh, versions of the creatures and then came the serials, you know. So they really cashed in on this uh, youth market of monsters. They sort of repackaged what were terrifying movies t- in the mm-hmm. 30s to adults. Right. Um, got recycled anyway. So just to be immersed in that world as a kid and see... And just like any nerd today, you know, I guess the Star Wars nerds or the whoever, you, right. could, you know, you could really track, like, the Wolfman is in this, but he's played by this guy. Actually, yeah, yeah, the Wolfman's yeah. the only guy who's always played by Lon Chaney mm-hmm. Jr. 
But a Frankenstein is played by Karloff and then Bela Lugosi, mm-hmm. who had refused the role in the first time. And, you know, on it goes. And then Glenn Strange, who was just the stuntman in, in cowboy movies. So all of this was this great minutia yeah. to get into as a kid. And then Famous Monsters of Filmland also. Bory Ackerman. Yeah, also preaching to this, this particular generation. And it's cool if you guys know all this because you're sort of nostalgists. But yeah, sure. I grew up with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, Frankenstein, you know, actually everyone says, who's your favorite monster? And it, it's probably Wolfman and probably the creature. From well, the, the creature, so the creature is my favorite. For yeah. Sure. And, and, you know, if you really just say, what's the greatest design? I mean, that's head to toe. And it's cool that it was a woman. Yeah. We all know that now. Mm-hmm. Um, although she literally got kicked out of the industry yeah. because mm-hmm. she got too much credit for right. it. And yeah. the, the Westmore mafia. Yeah. We had uh, Mallory O'Mara on the podcast Fantastic. Uh, with her not book. too long ago with her book. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, that's an amazing story. Oh, it's just, just love heartbreaking, it. but yeah. really well told. Beautiful. I actually uh, look forward to reading it. I've it's, only heard the podcast. Oh, yeah. other You'll, you're going to really like yeah. it. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. and So Frankenstein's monster is not your favorite monster. Well, but I have to say... The overall package of, you know, the legacy that it was written by a woman, the original book. And then when you're a kid, you read the book and it's a little boring, you know, it doesn't quite deliver. And I have this version that has an introduction by Stephen King. And it's Mm -hmm. so sweet because he says, listen, kids, hold your horses. This isn't going to be what you're expecting. And he really kind of tries to ease you into it. Of course, I did read the book and um, it is very immersive and it's kind of this awesome tale and I think in the end you would say that Depraved is as much from the book as from the movies but bottom line short answer to your question <laughs> <laughs> sorry a little enthusiastic no please no, please. be uh, enthusiastic that's, that's the but, whole point you know the thing is is that Jack Pierce that makeup was just so zany and to this mm. day I still, like, I have to admit, Pinterest is on to me. You know, they're like, perhaps you'd like some more pictures of Frankenstein. <laughs> and every time I click on it, uh-huh. there's something so mesmerizing about that particular design. Mm-hmm. And, and also Karloff's physique. Even he had yeah. the cool veins and his, you know, all of the, the, his facial structure. So I loved that. I lo- Everyone likes the second one. I liked the first one. I liked when he didn't talk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same. Yeah. I, I mean, I like Brighter Frankenstein, but of but course, I, but I it's a slightly it. different pleasure, yeah. and it's a little too much humor, a little too much mm-hmm. camp, and James Will, you know, letting his light loafers <laughs> show through. Yeah. Uh, there's something so spare and gothic about the mm-hmm. first one. Mm-hmm. The third one is fun to watch again because you're still getting Karloff and, and the vibe, but it's mm-hmm. not. Uh, even Karloff's a little pasty, and, and he's not in it as much, mm-hmm. oddly enough. But it has all the, you know, it's funny, most people ultimately say, well, my favorite is Young Frankenstein, which sure. is slightly heartbreaking, but true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, weirdly, my favorite's Roger Corman's Frankenstein Unbound. And that is weird. <laughs> is, 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 really, I mean, I saw Frankenstein when I was a kid, the whale movie, yeah. but Unbound's I saw in high school, and that's what took me down this tunnel of variation well, where, exactly. and, and what your film and actually a lot of your films sort of touch on definitely Frankenstein I love that yeah. they're all cover letters you know yeah, cover yeah. songs yeah and, and, and so you know there's other Dracula movies there's other I mean there's like a, maybe a couple other creature type movies you know if you wanted to call like I don't know Shape of Water or well, Monster Squad or whatever you know, Monster but, Squad is a tribute to yeah it, tribute so. to all of them but Although, Frank, look at that. The design isn't as good. I'm sorry, no, Guillermo. It's not, it's, I'm sorry, Monsters I mean, people. You can't 
perfect perfection. It's Th- truly perfection. On my ride here, I was just reading uh, Art Adams' graphic novel adaptation of Creature from the Black Lagoon, Ooh. and his style matches the original design perfectly. And oh if that's the only way I want to see it replicated. I want to see other artists take that yeah. design and I do agree. it. Don't And you know, they it. talk about remaking it, which yeah. of course I would see. I am not a snob. I love the new Godzilla. So, you know, mm-hmm. I don't mind tinkering at the edges. But mm-hmm. as you say, I don't know what they could ever do with right. nature that would improve on it. And and I, I love Shape of Water. I love the spirit behind it. But mm-hmm. um, he did not top it. And I don't think he would presume to have. But, so... Uh, my question is, though, where, <laughs> <laughs> All right, where is our over, guys? <laughs> well, there, are, there are werewolf movies. There are vampire movies. There, you know, there are movies that touch on other universal movies. But there is a subgenre of Frankenstein movies. Definitely. And as you say, like species. Is, it's, you know, right, yeah, that. yeah. So why, what is it? About Shelley's original story, and, and I, guess, I guess we really got to say James Whale's movie. Yes. That allows for so many people to obsess on altering it. Look at all the components. It's fantastic. First of all, you get, you know, body parts glued together, which, by the way, is a great movie. Body parts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, Jeff Fahey, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, Eric, um, Eric Red. Eric Red. Yes. Oh, fail. Oh. Fail, fail. That's okay. Yes, that's, that's okay. I'm only impressed. I can remember it. It's <laughs> Eric. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, so whatever, I think you have the sewing together of the bodies is so cool. You get to start with a graveyard in some way or other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the idea of rebirth. And then there's the tragedy of innocence lost and destroyed. Then there's the idea of the human hubris, uh, which is the doctor's perspective. And then there's just societal rejection, which every one of us feels in some mm-hmm. way. And then there's just so the and then there's the idea of revenge, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's just this overall structure that was yeah. in the original that is inseparable. And then in a weird way, there's the opportunity to redesign the creature, even though in a way you can't get past the Karloff. But you know, when I was a kid, and it does speak to whatever you see when you're kind of in your teen years has an mm-hmm. effect. Frankenstein Unbound. That's why. <laughs> that's why I was trying to give that to you, my man. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw a movie called uh, Frankenstein: The True Story with Michael Sarazen, and that's oh. uh, that's a TV show. Interesting. Mm. But Sarazen is a pretty boy, so they took the idea of like, what if he came out looking great, but then he starts to f- decay and fall mm. apart. Oh wow! Mm. And that movie is similar to mine in that uh, because I think it had a weird effect on me. It was a TV, you know, four part TV series or something. And uh, it really was about his downfall because he looked fine. It was more about his internal alienation and then whatever, his doctor rejected him and then he and he starts to uh, puss up. I mean, it was before mm. AIDS, but it had that same vibe mm-hmm. that you get from The Fly with uh, mm. with Goldblum. Anyway. I gotta hunt that down. Yeah. It's worth seeing. I mean, I'd be embarrassed. I don't know. Maybe it's terrible, but... Uh, right. <laughs> but, but like we say, it had this real imp- yeah. made an impression. It's a and cool it had idea. a great calling, crawling yeah. arm, you know. <laughs> huh. uh, well, Frankenstein also has points of view that you can latch onto. You can go point point of view of Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. And your film, I haven't seen it yet, but I've read a lot about it. Yeah. My understanding is you do hop points of view. Yes. Aggressively. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I mean, I'm not giving it away to you guys, but, or the audience really, but I start with actually just a couple young Mm -hmm. kids Mm -hmm. kind of fighting, you know, Mm -hmm. just have sex. Then they're sort of fighting. And and he goes, yeah, I'm just, I'm going to go. I'll see you tomorrow. Which I love. 
I mean, I just love how people throw things out and it, then it's not true. So he goes and gets murdered. Uh-huh. And then he wakes up and he's the monster. Mm. Uh, or he's the brain, you know, which right. is, that's the other trope, the whole idea of the brain. Yeah, all the right. Brain. And my friend uh, who was helping me produce for a while, Peter Polk, uh, he spent... He kept telling me, you know, it would be easier to do a head transplant than a brain transplant. And I said, yeah, but Pete, the whole point. <laughs> you, you gotta, you know, there are certain traditions. Uh, and, you know, I always love Abby Normal, you know. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The first yeah, thing yeah, that comes yeah, to mind. Yeah. Um, but in mine, he's just a, a dude who uh, fate took a wrong turn, and, and then he's haunted by those memories. So uh, mm-hmm. that was what inspired me. And then halfway through, Something happens and you're in the doctor's perspective. So mm-hmm. it's really fun. What you know, it's been a while since you've written and directed uh, your own yes. movie. Um, what was it? What what made this story the one that had to get you back putting pen to paper? Well, the truth is, and I hate this, but I have a couple of scripts in the drawer. And what happened is, long story short, I. Guillermo del Toro tapped me to do the Orphanage remake, if you know the movie, yeah. El Orfanato. And I spent like a year on that, got a great paycheck, worked with Guillermo, sat in his house of horrors. Oh, and, uh, super jealous. Super yeah, jealous. everyone who's listening to this should be jealous. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think there's the book now. Of yeah. This, yeah. I was in that place. And the funny thing, and speaking of timing and the difficulty of making movies, he was packing to go make The Hobbit. No, no, no. So oh, he yeah. was like, yeah. so we were hanging out, it wasn't long, three or four days, and I would, you know, I would hang out with him for three or four hours and we'd talk about different things and then I'd go and I'd write and then I'd come back and we'd talk more and then we had a long email relationship with notes from the studio, this was New Line. It was a great, exciting, thrilling experience and then we started casting. Everyone loved the script and Guillermo wanted top talent. You know, the woman is... Uh, if you know the movie at all yeah, uh, yeah. it was a key player and uh, it started to unravel and fall apart when the ladies weren't uh, joining the project and they mm. of course had to blame someone so they blamed the director uh, who was un- untested uh, it was really that Guillermo had faith in me that was so beautiful yeah. anyway it fell apart and I ended up because I was so empowered by this experience that I did a lot of producing then. Stakeland got Mickle started, did more Ty West movies, uh, and then a number of other great filmmakers that I liked. And uh, it was all good, but I think there was something about the recovery period when I was kicked out that, uh, you know, I just uh, sort of lost the flow. If I had made another type of movie after the last winter, I think it all would have carried on. So uh, I just to answer the question, I had that written basically around mm. the orphanage time, and then it was just a matter of, you know, I now had my sights on a slightly bigger production, so I was mm. trying to cast. Mm. And the whole scheme was, I want to make a horror movie with really, you know, beloved actors, mm-hmm. indie actors that you know, I don't know who like the type of Tom Hardy or your yeah. Ethan Hawks. In other words, the whole point was that they're going to be in an elevated horror movie. Anyway, it was very hard to get traction on that. I spent many years, and then eventually... But the difference, the reason I stayed with it is that all my other movies, even when I was little, uh, I would just put my sights on one movie and do whatever it took to make it. As opposed to, I got seven scripts, and what do you think? Because that just leads to this sort of wishy-washy message. Hmm. So I said, I'm not going to make any other movie but this, even though I had others. Mm -hmm. 
course, I did make a giant fish movie in the meantime. Uh, that was sort of an assignment, and I had a lot of fun because I love Jaws. And I'm like, all right, why not? So yeah. that'll be fun. But even then, I was trying to make uh, Depraved. Huh. Yeah. Like, and I eventually made it for nothing. That's the sad hmm. fact. As somebody who's never uh, made a movie outside of school, <laughs> uh-huh. the, the idea of spending so much time on a project like the orphanage and then it crumbling. Yeah. And then you saying that you were empowered by the whole experience and that sent you off this path of, you know, glass eye picks. And like, yeah. that blows my mind. It's, well, it's really heartbreaking. You know, Guillermo himself has the best quote about movie making. He says, uh, the natural state for a movie is it's not getting made. Mm. And it's so true. Even now, as we sit here, I'm struggling to finance something for a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's really, really brutal, and everyone should know that. And I always say, well, the whole reason Glass Eye exists is I say, let's make a movie anyway. Let's yeah. make it for much, much, much less. I've mm-hmm. had movies that are budgeted at 1.5, and we made them for $250,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've all given their directors an opportunity to do something else. I mean, we're huge fans of what you're doing. So, like, yeah. I mean, I love Stakeland, but we had uh, Wexler on for... Uh, of course, fantastic. For Ranger, it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, 250. Robert Mockler for Like Me. That's the one I was referencing. That yeah. was supposed to be a million five, and we had Addison Timlin, and she had some heat. Uh, you know, we couldn't get the rest of the money, and I said, well, listen, why don't we do it anyway? And, you know, it was a road trip. It was all over this yeah. America and all this. I said, look, we got the rock away. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So we just reduced the scale, and it's the same content he wanted, maybe not the same scale. That's pretty much true of mine, although mine we didn't. But, like, in the last few years, I mean, you've become sort of this guru for filmmakers. And, and my kid says, what does he say? Something about guru for failures. I mean, the point is, <laughs> yeah, I was like, now, son. <laughs> but... Uh, it, it really is that. I believe in the outsider artists. I believe in not chasing this commercial dream. You know, the, the, the mindset of the execs right now is increasingly brutal. And a movie's considered a failure if it isn't hitting right. Avengers numbers. That's right. just not Which fair. It's a very distorted view of, like, yeah. A, making art, building But even business-wise, it's That's crazy. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's, just, it's insane. So naturally, they're all terrified sitting in their offices saying, well, we can't green light this. It'll only make $50 million. Right, which is madness. Whereas it used to be when a movie got over 100 million, there'd be ads in Variety. Yeah. Dear Spielberg, congratulations, love George. And you're like, that's so sweet. Those guys were all watching yeah. each other's back yeah. and they were like, oh my God, Jaws, it's great, yeah. it's bananas. Now it's like... $2 billion and James Cameron writes you a letter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, it's just, so anyway, we're just in a hellhole. And thank God for horror because it has both the most voracious, uh, you know, community of supporters meaning the fans mm-hmm. and also it's a big tent you know you can mm-hmm. do ghost stories and sci-fi and you can do a weird comedy like Jarmish and, and then you can do obviously you know startling stuff like Hereditary I mean it's it's a, I, I love to complain but I also think horror is in a great place uh, ditto but as you going out and you know uh, shepherding I won't use guru then I'll say shepherding uh <laughs> these young filmmakers are you just looking for their enthusiasm or is there are there stories that you want that you you see is that story and you go like oh that's glass eye uh, there's the both of those are the exact answer in other words I want a filmmaker who has a real under, you know a love of cinema and wants to uh, 
tell the story with artistry on the screen and, and a sort of an understanding of the power of, you know, the edit. And just like, like I just like craft. But um, story-wise, even though The Ranger, I mean, just shows that I like a broad range of things. The Ranger uh, has, is, is, you know, splattery. But the fact is, is I like it when it's very... Um, rooted in something personal, that mm-hmm. it feels real. Yeah. I mean, you would say maybe that that's what's common in a lot of the Glass Eye movies. There's all kinds of styles in play, mm-hmm. but even the Ranger, which is, you know, bright colors and punk rock and everything, you know, I think Jen is exploring uh, the idea of the final girl. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. actually, you know, sort of comes from a feminist perspective and like that chick rocks out and she's the wolf at the end. and. And that's cool. So there's sort of a, a love of the genre and then sort of commenting further on it about something you can really take right. away. And that's right. the idea of all of them. Rob Mockler, obviously talking about the end of the world based on, you know, the pursuing the addiction of social media and yeah. uh, just how empty we've all become. So in a way, I like social commentary. It doesn't have to be on the nose. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to say global warming's going to kill you. Yeah. Although that's exactly what my say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I like I like how people. I think movies that I heard it said this way. You, you put real people in unreal situations. Exactly. And those are the ones that I connect with. That means something totally. to me. I just read that too. What the fuck? I don't know where I heard it. <laughs> where you stole it from? I <laughs> thousand percent am stealing. Yeah, it from no, somebody you're, way you're smarter than me. Yeah. <laughs> but I just read it this morning which is only weird uh, I've obviously heard it before and it's exactly right yeah but I don't know where did I read it I, like for me watching movies in 2019 and also being a nostalgist loving the, the old stuff yeah what I've noticed with things like horror but also like the action genre like John Wick and uh, you know Scott Atkins my favorite sure. his new film Avengement they their their characters are pursuing there has to be an emotional core. Mm-hmm. Like today, audiences seem to need to need to connect with the guy throwing knives into skulls, or right. you know, or monsters, you right. know, like Shape of Water, or things like that. And I think like we're really craving, I don't know, like empathy or Absolutely. understanding. Yeah, and I think that's awesome. It's fun to really get into the weeds with this, though, because if you think about Rob Zombies. Halloween movies mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. he spends way too much time humanizing the bad guy uh-huh. uh, like I think that well, I don't even know I think it's his first remake uh, it's like you spend so much time in the childhood yeah that's the first an hour or whatever and um, it's funny uh, there's a great book called Shock Value which says that um when you try to explain too much, you lose that aspect of the boogeyman. So there's a, a desire in the 90s to sort of psychoanalyze the, the mm. bad guy. Mm. And that can take away from just the abject boogeyman-ness of it, which is a more abstract thing. Like, we all feel the yeah. presence of the yeah. boogeyman. So, so it's, a, it's a balance, because I also like the psychological... Uh, the, Psycho. My yeah. wife and I, when we were dating in 2007, we went and saw the Halloween remake. Mm-hmm. And it spends all that time with Michael. And the moment when he kills his janitor caretaker, played by Danny Trejo, she oh, yeah. burst into tears. Yeah, because it just feels... She, she felt so... Like, that. no, that's your caretaker. You, like, you're, you're right. traumatized. He's helping you. Why are you killing him? Yeah. And she could not... 
she had, she's like, I can't deal with this movie. Right. It was too much for her. And I've, I've always been fascinated by that approach to that character. That's true. Uh, and fair enough. And, you know, at least he brought something new and made you really deal with it. But yeah. um, it, it's a fun conversation. And do read that book. Shock value. Yeah, because it starts with Psycho. And it says, mm. this is, you know, a masterwork. Except the last seven minutes, they try to explain mm. um, Anthony Perkins' character. And... First of all, it's universally just boring after such yes. a great movie. Yes. You don't care, and you just want to see him smile. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know, the premise of the book is that after that, you have Chainsaw. You have all these mm. movies where you can sort of understand, well, I guess they were a family of meat packers, but not all of them become the Chainsaw <laughs> people. So it's sort of talking about how you can't really understand the monster, and that's what makes it scary. Mm. Even Night of the Living Dead, as you know, they don't really say what's going on. There's a couple... Maybe it's a what's space. The, yeah. yeah. What's the ideal role for villainy in a movie then? I mean, because I think a lot of people watch movies and they want to... Because we had a conversation with Heather Buckley where she wanted... We were talking at uh, Chattanooga Film Festival where she was saying, you know, I really want to see the awfulness in things so that we can explore it and I can understand it, right? But... <clears throat> With Jaws, right? So Jaws gets a break because you can just have the monster out in the ocean and it can right. be circling around and you don't really have to understand the what's going on threat. with Jaws' head. Right. But, but the idea of not showing the monster and increasing terror, it, it seems more that, like that's in line with, with what interests you as, as Well, a it's funny you say that because also I'm like, don't, don't waste my time. Show me the monster. Like, you know, a lot of people say my movies are like, this was in the old days. Bullshit. couldn't really <laughs> compare. And, you know, they were like, you know, my films are like Val Luton because they're so suggestive. And Love I'm like, it. fuck Val Luton. Yeah, 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 when I was a kid, I was like, TikTok, yeah, TikTok, yeah, 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 man. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, bottom line, I'm totally conflicted. The other thing is like, think of uh, the Joker. Uh, sure. Uh, Heath is mm -hmm. still the Joker to me. Mm -hmm. Like, Same. what the hell is going on with that? It's just the most beautiful portrait. Yeah. And yet, in a weird way, there's no answer because he tells the same father story three times, and then yeah. you realize he's just fucking with you. Yeah. And he, you know, he doesn't have a real motivation except, you know, just like the fact, you know, like yeah. dog chasing cars or whatever. And <laughs> uh, it's just like, fuck this. This is insanity, raw insanity. You can't, we can't actually pin it down. Yeah, yeah. And we can't say, well, you know, when he was young. Yeah. So it's like, oh, fuck. And I think in a movie, it's cool when the villain is a little out of your grasp. Yeah. Uh, because you can't quite, uh, you know, of course, it goes back to Hitchcock, who said the villain is what defines a good movie. The mm -hmm. work, you know, the better the villain. Mm -hmm. Like Strangers on a Train, that guy says, if you murder my person I'll murder yours and then he goes and murders the guys yeah, and he's your like, turn. well what the I didn't actually agree <laughs> maybe I nodded but you know and so there's so many potential pathologies in play I guess what I'm saying is maybe you don't unless that's the point of your movie to sure. define but I think even psychologists don't quite know why crazy people are crazy. Mm -hmm. There's a great book I have called, I don't know what, one of these silly titles, you know, The Origin of Evil. But, you know, then you get into the science and mm -hmm. it's because there's a part of the brain not working. Yeah, the, right. The, the empathy part. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Social, yeah. I mean, what do you think we're dealing with? We have a narcissist in the White House. That's a yep. very real thing that results in real activities out yeah, in the world. Yeah. CEOs. So this shit does matter. Serial killers. Yeah, exactly. And capitalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Capitalists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about language. Yeah, yeah. Studio heads, if yeah, I yeah, can yeah, say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, these are real problems. And, you know, of course, that's why the, it's a 
landscape of people and you like certain types and not others and some people are scary as shit is outsider art then kind of your answer to speaking back against that yes and also it's um outsider art is sort of the the glory of uh of insanity and you know i mean i do i love the flawed people who haven't figured it all out and know how to deliver the three-part story, you know, mm-hmm. I like the art that's a little frayed at the edges and and all of that. I mean, you know, I mean, Hitchcock is my usual go-to example of just obviously perfect craft, but he was, there was something off about off, him. Yeah. And yet, you know, you can say, well, he was also funny, I mean, or self-aware, all those things are the additional elements that make an artist but you know his work is very very genuine Mm -hmm. and he was paranoid and probably vengeful and Mm -hmm. wanted to make people suffer everyone always laughs or I always laugh at my own joke Uh, why do I make horror movies and it's not because I'm like some sort of you know person it's actually I want everyone else to feel the way I feel Mm -hmm. which is generally afraid and uh, you know disappointed so uh you are a filmmaker that does, you know, under the large umbrella of horror, mm-hmm. operate. Like, you don't venture out too far beyond the genre of horror. Right. Although, you know, I have a, a documentary out now mm-hmm. called Marky in Milwaukee that's about a trans gal who, I mean, who's... But talk about an outsider, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. just that experience. Like, I'm really just interested in the way the world works and how morality seems to fail us and the endless hypocrisies and, you know, all of that. The bottom line is I'd rather see it told with a werewolf than (laughs) than just a a person doing Mm -hmm. some stuff, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just deeply love the the fantasy and once again sort of the unknowable I love a creaky tree I love mm-hmm. a full moon mm-hmm. you know it's that's just an aesthetic thing also hard to know where that comes from but you know oh, I was going to say if, it, if, it's, if it's about sharing fear and the perspective of like that that feeling of mm-hmm. uh, something is not being right what's what's the fear that drives depraved mm-hmm. what, what fear are you exploring there I total outsiderness, just not feeling mm-hmm. like you belong, which is why it actually feels like a uh, coming-of-age movie more than anything. I mean, the it monster even feel like is the, the ultimate movie. outsider. Of course. Yeah. He yeah. can't fit in. He's yeah. not really human. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and, and the Frankenstein's monster, I mean, because he's also a hodgepodge of all these dead people. Right, exactly. You know, like, I mean... He, I mean, you guys should see it. It's not... Oh, uh, it's happening. Un- oh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, maybe you'll see it tomorrow. Yeah, 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 that's our oh, plan. And you'll be like erasing the fucking... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Not no, so no. much. No, no, no. That was a great, great, great conversation. Yeah, nice conversationalist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, movies, not so much. Um, but you'll see. It's as... I mean, it... Look, I finished the movie. I, You know, I struggled for 10 years to make it. I watched the assembly, which I did like in three weeks because it was all designed to just fit together. And I just remember going, what the fuck was I thinking? You know, because <laughs> yeah. it's so personal and so much what I intended, and yet I didn't really like I, I should have thought about uh, making this part scarier. <laughs> like, what was I thinking? Well, <laughs> that's what I've always found. I mean, because, you know, that story of taking a long time to make. A film, like to realize a screenplay into a film, that's yeah. that's not unique. A lot of filmmakers have to live with things for a long, long time. And I'm always curious about, okay, when you finally do get the go, and you're going to go make this movie that you wrote 15 years ago, yeah. 
how do you like does the energy like return like does your excitement around that screenplay return do you have to find it again yeah I mean it's Frankenstein it was never left me that's right clearly and then you know you're talking to your makeup guy the only thing I will say and it's not an excuse the movie is what it is but all that build up and then suddenly you have three weeks you know and to, to do the makeup and your yeah. friends are like well we can't do Busy. the makeup in three weeks and you're like what so everything was a compromise we didn't have the money mm. so that was weird but it's not an excuse the movie is utterly it's a, a kind of a gut punch mm-hmm. once again don't expect a lot of glory <laughs> it just is what it is but it clearly is a Heartfelt, and that's cool. I mean, it's something. It's part of the canon now. That's what right. Like it's part of the, yeah. the, the subgenre. That's you know, that's kind of interesting. Is we've been having that conversation a lot from from Chattanooga to here, and Brad and I talking is you know, there's there's a love for the past, and nostalgia is great. And I'm not an anti nostalgist in any way. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the stuff that came before is rad, and it's rad for a right. reason. Explore it, love it. Yeah. Um, but as creators. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth conversation about like, well, am I paying homage to the greats? Am I advancing the genre? Do you think about that as you're exploring the Frankenstein's topic? Like, what does this do to expand the Frankenstein canon? I think it does just that. It personalizes it so much that you're almost not, you're like, he doesn't even look particularly scary, so what am I watching? And my point is, is like, you know, being an outsider is on the inside. So you have that. And also what I think the one thing I do contribute is the idea of the brain remembering something and the whole idea of a past life and he's trying to make that connection. So that's a whole additional yearning in the movie. And it's because I read this book called My Stroke of Insight, which is about a woman who had a yeah. stroke and she's trying to reconnect her brain and her mother came and nursed her back, like had a second childhood. It's an amazing wow. book. And it's, you know, she's on TED Talks and everything. She's quite a rock star yeah. in this tiny, tiny world of people who care. But... I found that profound, and so mm-hmm. even the way I directed the monster, you know, part of it, her brain died, so yeah. she didn't have emotion anymore, and she said, um, I live in this state of bliss now, and mm-hmm. at, as an intellect, well, I don't know, but anyway, she's just saying it's a weird thing, I don't feel anxiety or so on, and so that's how I directed him, as if his brain was very specific, so mm-hmm. he's just sort of like... How do you do? Yeah. But slowly the frustrations of his parental figures, there's two in my book, which is different, my movie, which is different from the original story, because I think the doctor was motivated. Well, I also bring the idea of PTSD and our soldiers come back and they're all fucked up and they can't quite process this war that the country doesn't embrace. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, it's not preachy about politics but there's this whole thing like you know our whole society is fraying at the edges because we're not taking care of ourselves and that's similar to you know it's the idea of parenting you know if you don't lay a foundation for the next generation you're going to create disjointed you know confused possibly violent creatures so all of that is sort of in this in the sense of betrayal and like what did you do so I try to get into all that and then I have just a straight asshole capitalist as uh, the guy that motivated the doctor and then you just realize there's this whole other predatory component in our society of people who are just trying to cash in on other people's talent so it's just a portrait of it's like those guys could just be friends in a a Facebook movie you know it's sort (laughs) of like 
all these venal characters in the world and then there's this monster they made and they're like, you know, blah, 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 this and that and this and that and the monster's like, what the fuck about me? What about me? You know, I mean, that's so, all of that, it didn't take a lot of like, oh, how am I going to do this? It was like, that's a story that's, you can tell it 10 years ago or 20 from now. Sure. The only yeah. irony is that I called it depraved. I wrote it in the, in the Bush era and like the bad guy my sort of bad guy was sort of based on like this kind of Cheney character. Yeah. Dick Cheney, like how much worse could it get? Well, it, it turns out, it turns out that was just a sandbox. So in a weird way, I always laugh at the word depraved because I'm like, how about not so nice? Because <laughs> compared to what goes on now, it's like my people are all quite honorable, <laughs> even the assholes. Yeah. Well, but that's what we were talking about. You'll see. Uh, Josh Leonard he just finds, I think, the nuance of of the vulnerability of the asshole, which yeah. I do. So I don't know what I said about Halloween. I obviously mm-hmm. do love finding the psychological realism yeah, of sure. people who are behaving badly. I mean, that's my whole jam. I love that. I think. I think today we've what we've done is we've ripped off the veneer in, in terms of society and politics and all that. We've right. ripped off the veneer of what was right. there before to lend some credence to bullshit and assholery and, and now you just here it fucking is and yeah. it's out there and I, I think my connection for that is I think that that's kind of what appeals to me about outsider art or arts that frayed around the edges like Absolutely. you said is that it, it it's not so much that the frayed edges make it real it's right. that you can see somebody struggling at the limits of what they're doing whether it's story wise filmmaking wise right. or the characters in the films you know yep. trying to do things that they are there's, there feels like there's realness there. There's, Dude, there's I completely there. agree. And when you ask, like, what is a glass eye film? I mean, it's a little embarrassing because it would just seem like I'm saying that it's flawed. But the, uh, it's, it's the idea you can feel that it's handmade, mm-hmm. and yeah. that there was a struggle. And I think that lends an authenticity. Uh, and you know, I grew up. Uh, when the monster, you could see the zipper. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and yet you were entranced, and actually the audience had to participate in making this fantasy real. Mm-hmm. Now you go and you go like, oh, that CGI doesn't look right. Yeah, the weight's and not right. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. Uh, exactly, yeah. and all of that, which is, yeah, whatever, it's fine. You can comment as much as you yeah. want, but uh, it's just, um, I, I like that tactile. Well, yeah. the point of going to the movies about. is to give yourself to the film. Right. And, you know, I've, I mean, I'm certainly not one to talk because I do this all the time, but, like, you're supposed to, like, engage with what you're presented. Exactly. And you shouldn't really bring in what you want well, a this, movie to this be. this is very profoundly important about criticism. I don't know if you guys write. Yeah, we, yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing more important than that basic principle uh, when you go, like, well, I wanted it to be this. Yeah, like, right. Well, who can yeah. make your own yeah. fucking movie? <laughs> Unless the only way you can... You know, if the ad campaign is so aggressively telling you it's this, and then you get that, right? you can go, well, there's a terrible disconnect, and the filmmaker was ill-served by, you know, the studio or whatever. That's fair enough. But the bottom line is that I think criticism is like, well, what were they trying to do, and did they succeed? And they may not, and you don't have to be soft about it. I agree. But you go, you know... Yeah, so that's my. Well, that was the Roger Ebert thing, and and I heard that that when I was was a kid. Ebert, I love his writing style. I mean, I mean, he, I mean, in a lot of ways, he changed my life through his writing. He changed mine with a good review. (laughs) (laughs) Fabulous. He liked. Well, that's what he would say. Is like he would go into a movie, and whether it was like 
Like, does Police Academy 5, Mission to Miami, exactly. achieve its goal exactly. as Police Academy 5, Mission to Miami? That's right. And if it does, then good rating. And that's why he was such a special person. And, you know, I love, you can read his reviews now, and he really does take you through the experience. He's always, I love the way he writes. It's like, well, I saw this, and this is how it starts, and, you know, you're kind of wondering, and then this happens, and it, it's very generous. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he was truly, uh, and it's only ironic that he's remembered for the opposite problem, which yeah. is like thumbs up or thumbs down. Because yeah, he, right. he was actually not that guy. Right. But, you know, right. he needed a device for the show yeah, and so yeah. on. Um, he's oh, awesome. Yeah. He's yeah, totally awesome. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, because like, I think like with Ebert, I think about that, and I think about how movies are machines for empathy, and that's like a quote that was that's always thing. stuck I in I also my head. quote that all the time. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I don't I, know where I was going with that, but yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. Full stop. I love Roger Ebert, Same. and uh, yeah. he has a great legacy. And personally, I met him a couple times, and oh, nice. I felt very supported by him. He remembered who I was. Like, I'd see him at the Spirit Awards or something. He's like, oh, you know, how's it going? Because he really loved the habit. Yeah. He and gave seems me a like a real movie. sweet, like he seemed like a real he sweet. He was the real right? deal. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he's married to an African-American, right. so he always supported Yeah. Uh, you know, One False Move and other African-American content. And he was a real champion of a lot of well, I've also things. loved what Chaz has been doing with his legacy. And, yeah, it's impressive. You know, it's you know, still keeping, important to get a good yeah. RogerEbert.com yeah. mojo. Um, and then, you know, almost too brave. I didn't actually see it, I confess, but the way he went out was pretty fucking ballsy. To show his, yeah, to put it all out the there. Movie about his cancer. And, oh yeah, life itself. In other words, he was the real deal. It's worth watching. It's hard. It's a hard no, watch. Yeah, but yeah. it's worth watching. Um, uh, so we're getting to the end of the episode. Uh, Not I don't, at all. Uh, Hold on, I'm yeah, just good. warming up. Happy to hear that. I know other beer. Uh, yeah. There is take it. Crack it. <laughs> grab it. Yeah, yeah grab it. Um, but like for me. With Depraved, mm-hmm. All right, again, going back to this idea of 15 years. It's How? like a fish. Wait, well, it was 10 years. Now it's 15. 15, 20 years, whatever. There I was. 40 years, 40 years ago. 40 years ago, you started writing <laughs> Depraved. And what do you owe the person who wrote it 40 years ago versus the person who's making it today? Uh, um, he's just the same kid. Is he? loves this stuff. I would... The only thing, yeah, I could remake it now. Yeah. Know, meaning, uh, it's not like I walked away saying I didn't get things right, but I realized there was still, you know, there were things, and, you know, it's really weird to read, you know, your early pitch lines or whatever. And yeah. You're like, you know, this will be this kind of thing. And you're like, well, dude, you didn't really do that. So, uh, uh, yeah, but I'm, any, a lot of filmmakers will say, well, maybe they won't. I will. That I, you know, I finish a movie and I'm ready to actually get down to work and do it right. Uh-huh. But you can't. That's why you make another movie. It's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, yeah. So, but you know, I love I'm the, the, the cast that I got. Same time. Oh no, no, do it. Uh, anyway, uh, I also, I, I'm not a huge fan of regret. I think you have to keep moving forward. What you have to do is work in a certain, you know, on my sets and I try to deal with people and make them feel included and that all the boats rise together and, you know, so there's a whole aesthetic and a moral universe in which I try to operate and work on these movies and if you get that close to right without too many damage 
relationships, which, you know, happens. Feelings get hurt, this and that. But, you know, you so there's a whole other thing going on besides the movie. And then you hope that that resonates in the film and then you keep building there. And that's also why I produce, because I have a very nervous energy. And, like, just to make my movie doesn't really feel like I've done enough. Then I need to know that Jen's punk movies out there doing that uh-huh. work you know and, yeah. and then oh I got this other one that's going and that and you mentioned I mean most of my movies are horror but I also work with uh, Kelly Reichert who's a yeah. very uh, respected you know oh, yeah. real filmmaker well, <laughs> <laughs> well performance wise I mean you've been in some of them I mean, your movies are amazing. I'm not saying it like that. <laughs> okay. I, mean, like, I see where this is going. This is what well, happens when you're drinking uh, and interviewing. That's not what I meant. Uh, what I meant, but like you have worked like with everybody. With real filmmakers. Fuck oh, okay. me. Fuck That's me. Fine. I am so regretful. <laughs> but like Kelly Reichardt, extreme talents. Like what is it to be uh, a director on a film, uh, acting on a film set? Mm. It's fantastic because you have great empathy for what they're going Mm. through. Mm. Your main agenda is to get them what they want and not dick around with your own problems. And you do have problems on a set. You're nervous. And um, obviously I was in the Jarmusch film. I'm aware that I'm with some pretty awesome people. And uh, you just want to not be in the way and be part of their good vibe. Like the director's Mm. like, oh, I had no problem with that one guy. He knew his shit. So that's the real agenda. <laughs> and then, you know, if all that goes well, you can have uh, fun. But I really love watching directors work, and they're all different. You know, it's... Um, I really love the um, vulnerability of being an artist. I mean, yeah. we talked about outsider art. Right. It, it's a real offering, and that's the only art that interests me. And it, it is... It goes the gamut. I mean, I do believe James Cameron has his own sort of... He really has his hopes and dreams. So it's not just the humble people who aren't succeeding. And Marty Scorsese, I love so much. And, you know, he made silence. took him 30 years. Right. So, in other words, at every echelon, Mm -hmm. the great artists are exposing themselves. And and then, you know, that's who you want to separate from the dickheads who are, you know, careerists or sort of whatever they're pursuing just doesn't feel as genuine. So we go back to that right. idea. And uh, I think, you know, all of that is in the eye of the beholder um, because then there's the weird part of pretentious artists, which is like, well, they, they're they trying to do their thing, but they're just annoying, so I don't know. <laughs> and I don't have someone in mind, but, you know, there's so many types of art. And it really is how it strikes you personally, mm-hmm. yeah. obviously. But I just like the people that are trying to get at something. So any well, like when you when you come off of something like the Jarmish film, like do you come out energized to apply something from that to you know depraved or, or whatever yeah. else you've got coming? I, it was just well, the cool thing is I'd shot depraved and then uh-huh. I was editing. Oh yeah, so it was just so fun to watch. I'm not quite sure the way to put it. He runs a set with so much warmth and humor mm. and humility. And everybody, I mean, it's a much bigger set, and yet he still tries to engage with everyone. He shakes the hand of the crew at the end of the day, which is a tradition I really believe in, and, you know, you thank them for the day. And uh, so he has that, and yet he's also teasing Adam Driver because he's going to go do Star Wars and he's <laughs> fucking up the schedule. You know, we had to shoot every Adam shot before anyone did anything, and, uh, you know... And then now he has a, annoying. a Star Destroyer keychain, you know? <laughs> exactly. Which is, I mean, some people were dissing that. It's all so fun. Oh, no, I it. mean, what's not to love? Yeah. It's fantastic. Mm. Um, so it's fun to see 
you know, I'm an, another quote uh, goes way back, not to Eber, but, you know, do you rule by fear or do you rule mm. by love? Right. I love those questions. And, you know, in a way you want to have respect and someone like Jarmish does, but he's still ruling by love. Uh, and then I also saw him crack up because things were falling apart and it was fun to see his little <laughs> tirade and, uh, well, you know, well contained by the AD and all that. So every, uh, yeah, it's, I just, I love people trying to make a movie. It's so interesting yeah. to see how their gears are working. Uh, Kelly has her own rhythm. Obviously she's much more. So, uh, and then, you know, I was in the Neil, oh my God whatever the fucking movie was called. Uh, but uh, just worked with actually lots. And I was on Marty's film. I yeah, did work in a Scorsese yeah. movie. So, uh, and Steve Buscemi, not to drop names, but just to say all these guys have different personalities and yet they're pursuing this crazy dream. It's really complicated. So for you, the crazy dream, is that everything? I mean, like, you know, you know like, does it not necessarily consume, but is that... Are you always driving, you know, to the art? Like, yeah. Like, that's, that's your life? I mean, I like to cook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> but yeah. That's, that's also an art form, and it is about mm-hmm. process and humility and the ingredients, and then you can fuck it up, and the fucking onions are burned, which means the yeah. rest is going to suck, which means, you know, you're basically black written a bad scene, but you're going to film it anyway. Right, yeah, yeah. So I've done that a lot. It's all the same, really. It's all the same fucking day, man, like Janice would say. <laughs> um yeah, I just, you know, these, this is the art of life, and then you try to balance it with uh, the finances, which is very frustrating because you realize things that are valuable to a community aren't, aren't bringing in the big right. box. Yeah. And then, you know, you guys know this. Yeah. You're doing your thing. So it, whatever, that's the soup everyone's in, and, you know, you're very lucky to be. And the thing is, is with Har, you have this community that is going to appreciate. I mean, I really feel that about the Har community. They... They're forgiving and curious and supportive, and that can't be said. I mean, maybe the furniture maker community is nice. I just don't maybe. know. I just don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. But you know what I mean. So. But then you know, like you're also you have to promote the film. You have to sell the film. Yeah. I mean, it's to me like I look at your movies, and it just seems like you're always working. Well, I am always working, and uh, but. You know, it's but the old it's, cliche. Is it really work? I'm, I'm literally going to show you my latest. Please, depraved oh poster. Yes. Oh my god! Like, if you really are sort of fans of all this, shit, yes. you will At know what Jenny. I'm going to show you. Um, oh, oh, that's a challenge. That was a challenge. No, no, no. It's just. <laughs> is it like, a Basil Gogo's painting? <laughs> oh shit! Don't say that. I do. I know a guy who's got a little of that. Oh man! Let me see if I have this. Anyway, keep talking. Wait, hey, real quick, just an interjection. When 5.30 is the other guy's coming Oh, we got plenty of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking okay. other guy. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> oh, what are you going to talk to him about? No, no, not, not uh-huh. us. They're kicking us out because there's another podcast <laughs> coming yeah, in. The guy is going to go fuck the beautiful girl in the bed? What yeah, the yeah. hell? This place is too much. It's wild. <laughs> you want to catch a nap after the interview? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going up there. I'm going to watch the other podcast. I'll be like, you guys aren't as good as us. That's right. You, you didn't get to the core of the matter. Oh, man. Man. Uh, I love Overlook. Say? This is my first year at the Overlook, and I'm like in love immediately. Oh, that's cool. I got to tell you that uh, it was very cool when it was in. Um, oh, the Stanley. 
Yeah. So jealous tonight. And even the overlook was crazy because that was the exterior of the shining and it was in the middle of the snow. You're like, wait, what is this crazy? Insane. I could not handle it, I don't think. Oh, so good. That movie, still truly traumatizing to watch that movie. Yeah. I was 11 years old, watched it in the basement. Did you watch it for the first time at 11? 11 years old, watched it with my buddy Steve in the basement of my parents' house. And there's like this little tiny window at the top of the basement. And the whole time after we watched the movie, I just kept imagining that Jack Nicholson was going to be there, or I'd see his feet there, or, or what I always had that, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll show you this after. Yeah, no, 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 that's cool. I, you know, I'm, I, we, we talk about a lot when people watch movies for the first time, because I, um, I have three kids, but my oldest is oh, nine sweet. now. Oh, sweet. How old? Uh, nine, seven, and five. Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's been busy. Yep. You'll bet. Well, <laughs> three times at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> You're cut off. <laughs> um, my 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 oldest came to me and was like, she knows that I write about movies and I talk to filmmakers, and she said, like, she basically said, I want to watch more grown up movies, and I was like, well, fuck, what an opportunity, yeah. what a responsibility, oh, yeah. how do I do this? And I, so I have a lot of conversations with people about when they saw the. the so he started a podcast time. about it. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's what. Great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we sit, we oh, talk wow. for like half an hour after we watch a movie, and. It's same shit that we do like when we finish watching a movie as a family like right. what'd you think about it what was interesting like practicing looking at a piece of art and engaging with it but that is for nine fantastic years. and yeah. I always say that about my son he was the only kid like he'd have friends over and they'd be playing with the blocks and everything my kid would be watching him and he'd watch right through the end the last credit you know the copyright yeah. goes up yeah. and then he'd be like I'm done. Good kid. And uh, he saw every Hitchcock, except, like, I guess, Frenzy, you know, a couple of the nasty ones. Sure. Uh, by the time he was, like, 10 years old. Yeah. And I'd say, look how he's doing that. You see how he doesn't show this, but he's doing yeah. that, emphasizing this. So uh, it was. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to have the kids sort of take that experience seriously. Yeah, as exactly. A, as a whole offering. And, then, and, and I was just going to say, you know... One way in is to show them old movies because they yeah. are adult, but they're somehow contained. Right. And then when they're older, they'll watch them again and they'll realize, oh, wow, that is actually very adult. Yeah. But, you know, you watch Casablanca, you're like, eh, I don't know, whatever. It seems sort of uh, sweet, yeah. but but actually the really heavy themes, you know. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good entree and you... It's cool to have a kid that will watch a black and white movie. Well, you know, man, this started because um, when Joe Bob was coming back to do his uh, first month, like first overnight thing with Mm -hmm. Shudder, right? The the Shudder TV channel was showing uh, the original Night of the Living Dead um, in the run up before it. And I just had it on. And Claire comes out of her bedroom and just sits down on the couch next to me. Oh, my God. And we... And I just am like, all right, well, let's see what happens. Yeah. And we just sit and we watch this. We watch Night of the Living Dead together, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Of all time. Uh, period, of all time. Period. And, <laughs> and she's hooked. There's no fidgeting. There's no yeah. bathroom breaks. She is engaged yeah. 100%. And we had a great conversation after. Um, and then I sent her to bed because you know, Joe Bob's coming on. Sorry, sorry, kid. Uh, no, but, but we had like a lovely conversation about it. And she was yeah. really into it. And I thought, well, gosh, if she's ready to sit and watch a black and white movie about yeah. zombies with a social message and yeah. ask interesting questions, let's see where this goes. That's great. Yeah. I love it. And it's really important. I must admit when people tell me they have... Uh, Kids, I'm always like, so what are you? What are you watching? And I have nothing against Pixar; those are quality sure, storytelling. Sure, sure. Miyazaki, I mm-hmm. think, is wholesome. 
you know, but also throw in your, your Buster Keatons mm -hmm. and get yeah. them to understand all that great stuff. Yeah. And then on you go. Meanwhile, it's literally like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing in Depraved. You'll see maybe to a fault that it's all about how do you educate? Mm. Um, the, oh, oh, like the, a, a, a... The whole first half of the movie is like the education of the monster. Oh, I love it. Uh, cool, so, cool. Huh. You know, it's, it's like I definitely believe in old movies, black and white movies showing kids, you know, because yeah, I agree. if they don't develop uh, what an older movie is, yeah. then they're in their teen years and they have nothing to do. Like, oh, like, ugh, Citizen Oh, King, no, it's very problematic. Like yeah. And, and it's you have to get them early. Because, yeah. And, you know, of course, I'm just mimicking my own upbringing, but right. that's sure. what there yeah. was. And Cary Grant, I mean, I think some, you know, and, and, and Guillermo also says that, he says the cool thing about Hitchcock is you can read the filmmaking. Like you mm. can you can understand because there's, it's so sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. stylized that you can sort of tell why it's cool. Yeah. So it's a you know, or maybe a subtler filmmaker, you wouldn't actually know why you're having the experience. Yeah. But with Hitch, you know, when the camera goes from the top of the stairs down to a key in somebody's hand, yeah. you're like Something I, just happened. I get it. And that yeah. was cool. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. you know, in yeah. that regard, he's a great educator of the power of cinematic uh, language. and uh, Language. That's that's the thing I always click on is that watching movies is like learning It's reading, language. but it is reading. Yeah. It is a language. And it should. Yeah. I mean, and it you should know, wide-angle lens versus long lens, these things have an emotional impact. And that's what I like to talk about the, the directors that I work with. I'm like, so... And, and, you know, I have this thing when we're making a film or if I'm really in the room, like my own son, uh, we always break down the entire movie yeah. before we make it. Mm. It's still somewhat intellectual, but sure. what you're doing is you're saying, these are the beats of the script and this would be a wide-angle lens because we're feeling like this. And here we'd have two close-ups to do that. And you start to talk about rhythm. The power of what each... Uh, Lens choice does is that moving camera now? The, the movie is different from a, a yeah. dolly, which mm -hmm. is different from handheld. Don't tell me you're too poor to do one of those. I got a dolly right here, yeah, it's yeah. called a skateboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's not about it's about the language, what that shot has to be, right? And then right. we'll talk about budget and whether we get a really fancy one or not, but, right? You know, but there is emotion attached to technical feats, absolutely. Everyone, you know, yeah, that's why you know, Kubrick, the way he used the um. Steadicam, in a way, it's not very showy, but he's just wa wanted to be able to track behind the the, the little bike yeah. and never feel the bump of the right. thing. And and so he created this mesmerizing image that isn't really like now. Steadicam is often, I mean, it's nothing wrong with it. It's fantastic, but sometimes it's just the lazy man's. Well, we couldn't figure out how else to shoot this, right. so right. we're going right. to just do it that way. Right. Shot the whole movie that way. Sometimes you're running out of time, <laughs> but. Uh, Whereas when it's used for emotion, it's so cool. I agree. You know. Mm -hmm. You want to do your question? All right. So I think I think we've we've talked for quite a bit of time. Thank Lovely you. Lovely conversation. Thank yeah. you so much. But for doing what this. you really want to know is, <laughs> <laughs> let's get it now. Um, yeah. You know <laughs> what is this bullshit Frankenstein? No, no, no. <laughs> what a bunch of horseshit! Mm -hmm. Just so our listeners know, like. How hardcore of a Frankenstein fan you are, though, on your <laughs> iPhone case there 
is Boris Karloff's Frankenstein That's monster. That's true. Which is great. Really cool. Um, so, you know, uh, through writing about movies and talking about movies in the podcast, we've had a chance to interview a lot of filmmakers. And I think the most common through line for all of them is that making movies is just really fucking hard. Um, whether mm-hmm. they're small budget movies or big budget movies, challenges right. abound. Yeah. Um, and because we know that things are hard, we like to end on a positive beat. And <laughs> so our question to everyone that comes by is, um, you know, what's a moment, a single moment that you look back on in your career that uh, buoys you when you're feeling really low because the filmmaking that you're doing isn't working? Um, well, it's probably, oddly enough, when an actor takes what you were imagining to another level there's two things and funnily they both come from a film I made called Wendigo Mm -hmm. and uh, one was when the father and son are walking across this uh, hill and he's talking about mythology and why it matters which of course is a metaphor for everything in other words why do we tell stories so in a way the script was already very meaningful to me but here's a father and son and I had just had my child a a month earlier mm-hmm. and oddly enough I'd written this story before I ever had a child mm-hmm. and yet it was really about that tender relationship between a mentor and the, the little kid mm-hmm. and I was just on the headphones and we did it with a long lens because we know the long lens does what it does <laughs> which flattens and romanticizes so they were walking they were so far away but sound which I'm so responsive to was really really tight and close you know they had lavaliers and so on yeah and uh, he told this story and said, you know, why we listen to stories and why mythologies are important. And I started crying. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it's really, I mean, in a way, it was all those things at once. It was the ultimate theme. It was the purpose of filmmaking and storytelling. And then, you know, this father-son, the idea of handing down uh, ideas to, to the next generation, the next mm-hmm. kid. So it was, it was very sweet. And it's funny because I would never have come up with that if I'd had to prepare the question but you ask and I'm like oh that was a great moment transcendent moment for me I love it Um, and maybe it is representative of filmmaking Hmm. yeah I think that's a great answer that's a great answer Uh, Larry thank you so much for coming on I mean you'll never know how much this is really a treat you know it means so much to me that they're thinking people who are enjoying these movies and uh, not even mine but just like who are in there really thinking about it It, because sometimes in the world out there the tomato meters and this and that and all the agita and it just feels like there's nothing but aggression and tattletaling and uh, bitch slapping mm-hmm. and I told you so generation and so it's fantastic to know people care Thank about you. this shit. Um, listener wise, like, do you want, you know, obviously you have Depraved coming out. Everyone should be on the lookout for Depraved. Yes. Uh, should, can we point our listeners to, uh, Twitter feed, uh, Instagram or, or Just whatever? go to com. We have, I don't know how it works. Is it at Glasseye? You know? So sure. Yeah. That's our Twitter. Check out. But, you know, remember, we still do Tales from Beyond the Pale. That's going to yeah. become a real podcast. Like, we're going to put on our big boy pants. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, so we're so excited about that. I'm revising my Wendigo book. Uh, Jen Wexler has, like, I think she's conquered every medium with the Ranger. You can get yeah. books, video, VHS, yeah. uh, vinyl. 
So uh, there's always something. There's vinyl of Tales Worth Seeing, uh, Grandfather by Graham Resnick is out there. Don't get me started because it's a big family. <laughs> i got to promote all my boys awesome. and awesome. gals. So, well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really do appreciate it. Well, I appreciate being here. All right. All right. And there you go. Our conversation with Larry Fessenden. Epic. It's amazing. 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 Highlight. Amazing. Highlight of the year, man. Uh, yeah, for sure. Without a doubt. And what a great way to end our Overlook Film Festival series talking to Larry Fessenden. Uh, yeah, super cool. Find Depraved on September 13th, Friday the 13th of this year. Yeah. You will want to check it out. It's going to have a little bit of a VOD release, I'm guessing, a little mm-hmm. theatrical. If it's playing near you, uh, make that happen. We should talk to Faye over at Psycho Cinema and uh, the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, yeah. because I think Depraved would play really well with that crowd. I agree. Uh, it's, it's a special little movie. I agree. And it might even be my favorite Larry Fessenden film. Okay. Yeah, I'm putting okay. it out there. That's right. what Brad's saying. I, I liked it a lot. Oh, and you know, we we did talk with Mick Garris earlier in the month, uh, and he has a podcast, the uh, postmortem podcast that he does through Fangoria. Uh, right after our screening of Depraved, they recorded a live episode of that podcast where Mick and Larry talk about all things Larry Fessenden. Yeah, for sure, because you'll be able to compare Mick's chat with our chat and see that we had the better conversation. <laughs> I mean, not that it's a competition. <gasps> Total but, competition. But it, it, it is? Yeah, for and sure. We won? We won. We won. Probably not on listenership. I think Fangoria's got a few more ears <laughs> on them. They're doing okay. Uh, but guys, ItMod listeners, jump on over to iTunes. Send us some love. Give us some reviews. We could use them. We think we've earned it over this month plus of content revolving around the Overlook Film Festival. I mean, it seems like five-star coverage. To me. Yeah, five-star coverage, without a doubt. So go over there. Give us some love. Uh, Billy, where can our listeners find you online today? Today, you can find me online at WBDAS on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Uh, And you can also find me at Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures, which is a podcast I co-host with my nine-year-old daughter as we work to expand her cinematic horizons. Um, But, you know, just I wanted to add one other thing is... I, I really had a great time at the Overlook Film Festival, and I think that the the, the festival that they put together is amazing. I think that they were incredibly generous um, with the time of their guests and themselves to coordinate all these interviews for us and help us uh, have a space. The room that we had at the Hotel Peter and Paul was amazing, um, and they were just a delight to work with. Uh, I mean, I, we we can't shut up about how much we love the Overlook Film yeah. Festival. Uh, New Orleans is a really special place, and one like I love movies. I'm going to show up where you where you play your movies. But if you play your movies in a, a paradise of <laughs> po' boys, <laughs> a paradise of po' boys is amazing. I <laughs> am there, Billy. I had shrimp po' boys. I had alligator sausage po' boys. I had another mysterious sausage po' boy. It was, they were really, really, really good. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, head on over to the Ruby Slippers Cafe. Right. Get that $20 trifecta. Right. You're going to have more shrimp. Right. More braised pork. Yeah. More fried chicken. Yep. Three poached eggs. Yep. Uh, sourdough. biscuits worth of biscuits. Sourdough biscuits. Oh, my God. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So, New Orleans, you know, I don't know if you can get a better city to host a film festival. You really can. It is hot, though. It was extremely hot. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, very and hot. And the theaters were extremely cold. It yeah. was, I mean, guys, this was a real challenge. Circle all the way back oh. to 
five star worthy coverage. Five star worthy coverage. Sacrifices were made for sure. For sure. <laughs> Follow the podcast at It Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the other dorks: uh, Brian Young at the Turtle Dork, Darren Smith at the Disco Dork, Lisa Gullickson at Sidewalk Siren. I, of course, am Brad Gullickson at Mouth Dork. We are heading off to the San Diego Comic-Con in a week. Uh, we may be having conversations there for this podcast. I'm not sure. We haven't really scheduled anything post-Overlook. Uh, Billy, you're going to do your magic. You're going to find cool people for us to talk to as well. Always on the hustle for that. So, you know, cool people, uh, hit me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're cool and you're a person... Talk to Billy. You could be on this podcast like Larry Fessenden. Uh, there you have it, folks. Until next time, take care. Don't forget about that stinger. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? I'm staring directly into your eyes, and I can't. I got to look off to the right here. That's okay. I'm still processing yeah. Elton John is the second best film of the summer. No, Rocket Man, it was freaking good. Go see Rocket Man. All right, let's do this. Let's just welcome to the It Mod Chatcast. Three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of the In the Mouth of Dork Dish Chatcast. I'm your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, and joining me today is Billy Dasty. <laughs> You're looking at me. You're looking at me. Hold so on. much eye contact. Oh my God. <laughs> I am literally looking to the right now. I'm going to look down at my computer. <laughs> That's the stinger. I'm gonna fucking stop it.